Welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about the Mi'kmaq people and the Halibut First Nation. I'm Glenn Wheeler. There's lots of expectation about the next Halibut Chief and Council election. People are asking, who's going to run? How many of their current council will be re-elected? But before all that, there's the question of when will the election take place and who will be able to vote? We have some answers to those questions this week from band manager Keith Golding, the staff point person on election prep. The election will take place on either October 22nd or 23rd, and it'll be run on a new founding members list expected to be finalized by Labor Day. 4,000 plus new members on and 10,512 members losing their status off. There will also be a referendum question in the election about whether Halibu members want to change the custom rules to allow for electronic voting. I started by asking Keith Golding about the election date. I haven't uh, haven't locked down an exact day. It has to be within three years of the last one. So the gearing we're gearing for um, 23rd of October. In and around that date, it might be the 22nd. It might be Monday the 22nd or Tuesday the 23rd. But we're gearing in and around that that day. Right, because the last uh, the 2015 election was October 23rd, 2015, and um, of course the um, the custom rules uh, governing Halapu elections is a document attached to the uh, the agreement of principle, and it says terms are no longer than three years. So I guess on that basis, uh, it has to be no later than October 23rd, uh, 2018. Yeah, that's right. That's, a, that's a three years window there. You're right. Uh, how, how soon before uh, the election does the call have to go out? Uh, when when does it have to be announced? Um, in, our, in our custom rules, it says 21 days prior to the election. That's when the notice of, of banned election must be given. So that was a part of, I guess, some of the issues that we've seen in, in the last election uh, was that 21 days was not quite enough time, I don't think, to truly prepare people for the vote, to get the mail-in ballots ready, things of that nature. So so that that's that's what it says, but we're trying to extend that. Well, we're going to extend that, I should say. So we're looking at actually uh, extending that out so we can provide up to three months advance notice. That's where we're that's where we're gearing for right now. The wrinkle uh, this time is that we've had um, we've had a uh, two decisions from the federal court, and also we have um, the work toward a establishment of a new founding members list. Uh, so ver- two very important wrinkles. Um, do we know at this point who will be able to vote? in the 2018 elections. There is a, uh, a founding members list that has been drafted and is submitted to the uh, council uh, the order for an ordering council with cabinets. Mm-hmm. So that that process has has uh, hap- has occurred. Um, the list so the list is generated based on the information from the applications and the appeal process as outlined in the supplemental agreement agreement principle. Uh, the court decisions uh, may change who comes into the band, who can apply for the band, as, as you're aware, uh, with respect to things of uh, the right to appeal, things of those natures are, are now called into question and, and will will be reviewed as a part of those court decisions. 
So that may have an impact on some other people that could be added. But as as it stands right now, I mean, all I can do is is go by what I have in front of me. So um, it looks like we're going to have, or if the order in council proceeds and in the timelines that we've been given, um, I should have a new ban list and and uh, we should have an established ban list by Labor Day. Labor Day weekend is when it should be all finalized and through INAC and, and, and everything will be at that point and I can plan a voters list and check nominations against the eligible you know eligible members to become nominated uh, off of that voters list or around those Labor Day. So that's my target date right now. Now uh Glenn, as you're aware, there's there's court decisions that are, are rendered and and unfortunately, court decisions don't come with uh, with the owner's manuals or, or guidelines, so they need to be interpreted. They need, we need to look at the interpretation of um, what the decision that the judge made there. So, and the implications of that need to be need to be reviewed. So, we're not quite sure if that's going to have an impact on uh, the founding members' lists or, or or the building of a new founding members' list. That has yet to be determined. So, uh, right now, I'm, I can only go by that taste. So, I'm looking at Labor Day as having a a fixed uh, list for the election, and then we can check it out. But my my bigger, larger concern there is to make sure that we can know who's eligible to to run, who's able to to be nominated. Right. And when you have uh, your assumption, I suppose, is that when you get the new list by no later than Labor Day, the uh, between four and five thousand new people coming in will be on the list and therefore able to vote. And the 10,512 going out will be off the list and will not be able to vote. So um, that w it will be an updated list in time for the 2018 election. Yes, sir. Yeah, it will be based on the decisions rendered up to this point, or when the when the list was formulated, as per our agreement. Uh, so I think right now it's 18,575 is the magic number, mm -hmm. and there are going to be a few thousand more because you have. Um, people that are not going to be on the founding members list but are status members so their parents are on the founding members list and they're eligible to, to come in as a 6.2 or and, and those individuals are also going to get added so there's there's a you know three or four thousand more potentially I, I don't have that number but i think that's the number i've heard mm -hmm. that may get added there after the fact and they'll be eligible to vote as well right uh, and I guess these things, uh, these uh, the court cases and um, and uh, the rest of it, uh, uh, add wrinkles to the election, but I I don't see anything in the custom rules that would permit the election not to be held. There are some words in there if there is a snowstorm, the election could be the next day, but there's no there's no mechanism in the custom rules to say okay because there's this uncertainty, the election can be postponed for six months or eight months or whatever. The election has to be held by October 23rd, as per the custom rules. Yeah, no, and I, and I would agree with you. I, when I read the custom rules, I, I found the same thing. And I looked at them with respect to timelines, when we'd have to uh, have hold the election by, uh, all those things. And, uh, yeah, you're right. Within three years, and there's no real opportunity for, for us or the government of Canada to say, you know, no, you can't have your election, or we're going to postpone that election, that I can see. So uh, I guess if you're uh, thinking of running, then uh, candidates should have their, their eye on uh, the October date uh, and and, and plan accordingly. Yes, absolutely. Now, um, going back to the uh, election of 2015, there were um, there were problems. There were uh, long lineups at some polls. There were problems with the mail-in ballots. Um, people got the uh, the wrong ballot, i.e., they got a ballot for the for a ward that they did not want to vote in. 
Um, what what are what other issues came up in the 2015 election? Well, I think you've hit the, the crux of them. I mean, from our perspective, the, the voter turnout, voter, voter participation was low. And I don't think that was, to be fair, I don't think that was a reflection of the interest of our membership in, in voting. I think it was the things you outlined. Uh, I think it was that the timeline was too short. Basically, Glenn is what it came down to. By setting the timeline using the minimums that are standards that were in place, um, there was a, a fast turnaround for mail-in balloting. There was... Um, we used the minimum amounts of, of polling stations that we were allowed to use. Um, I mean, there's a financial outlay there, so we need to be cognizant of money. We don't get any core funding from the government to run an election, so we have to find revenues within our within our own budgets, within our own, within our own source of revenue to run an election. So those are challenges. But uh, so we try to run them as in a, on a shoestring budget or as as tight a budget as we possibly can. But at the same time, I don't want to sacrifice the the democracy. And, and the democratic process. So, the number of polling stations uh, may need to be something that we consider here. Um, the uh, length of time in which we give people that allows for a longer um, turnaround of mail-in balloting is is something else as well. And then getting the ban lists out, so or getting the the information out so that members can check and verify and go into our database, check and see which riding they're in, and verify that that's the case because that's. That's where we are. Um, much like most federal ridings, if you or federal elections, provincial elections, if you move houses and you're, or you're on the wrong list, and that, that can happen sometimes. There's a swearing-in process. So I'm looking at that to see if there's something that's something that we could engage here as well and how we'd go about doing that. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, what caused the uh, the long lineups at some of the polling stations? I really think it was just a matter of not enough of them because of some of the polling stations where there was a high voter. Concentration, and again, to you know, I'm looking within my own backyard here personally in Cornerbrook. Here, there's only one polling station, and there was 11,000 eligible voters. Mm-hmm. So when when one gives does the math, low voter turnout. I think in the Cornerbrook ward was very low. It was only about 10 or 11 percent. But physically, you could not move anybody else through that polling station. Mm-hmm. It was constantly a lineup. There was no there was no way of increasing it beyond that. That was the maximum capacity of that polling station. Right. So it's a reflection that there wasn't enough stations. This time, do you expect there to be more polling stations? One situation that frequently comes up is uh, is Burgio. Burgio is in um, Flat Bay Ward, so people would have to drive the Burgio Highway to Flat Bay to vote. Um, so is there any arrangement uh, to be made for Burgio or any other people that might be far away from a, a polling station? Well, as as you may have noticed at the last council meeting, that was a... a, a a bone of contention or a point, a valid point that was brought up, perhaps is, is a better way of framing it. Um, uh, at the uh, by by one of our councillors, and uh, the chief reiterated it and echoed that echoed the sentiment. So I think there's an appetite from uh, from council to do something a little better in that respect. Um, I'm at the uh, call beck and call of the chief and council, so whatever their decisions are, I will make them. I will enact them. So if they want more polling stations, I'll put them in place. So if, if the budget can bear it, so that's, I guess. So yes, there is a consideration for that. I, I can't give you um, definitive numbers, but some of the driving concerns. Uh, you look at um, Swift Current in the Glenwood Ward. Swift Current's out in Buren Peninsula Highway. Um, significant, significant drive. Uh, Burgio, you've already alluded to. Uh, Cox's Cove is 50 kilometers from Cornerbrook in terms of that. Um, people in Deer Lake have to go to Benoit's Cove. South Sarah Mary have to go to Benoit's Cove. So Northern Peninsula members that, that are voting have to come to Cornerbrook or wherever, whichever ward they're connected to. So there are, yeah, there are uh, some that have significant driving areas. So that's why the mail-in balloting, I think, is so critical 
and that's you know moving forward we we were hoping to change that for the next election not this upcoming one but the next one uh, there is uh, in order to change the the election rules there has to be um, a referendum so there is a referendum plan for as part of the vote for um, the 2018 election what uh, what changes are you going to be uh, proposing in the uh, or what options will there be on the referendum well what what i've been uh, what i've been researching with my my team here and we presented it to the council at the last meeting was an opportunity to do um, e-voting electronic voting so we're hoping that may very well uh, at some point in the, in the not too distant future completely replace the polling stations and the need thereof so, or or change the nature, change the water on the beans, as it were, uh, as to what a polling station is. Change it from being a polling station to a more of a regional help center for people that want to vote in person. So, my our, our plan, our planned approach here is to um, contract out to a third-party uh, company, electronic balloting company, um, and they uh, they have extensive experience with respect to. Um, Conducting elections in municipalities, both in Canada and the UK, with uh, trade unions and unions uh, across the country, and with six different First Nations already, so they have quite a great deal of experience in this. So, what e-balloting, e-voting would mean is that you would receive a personal identification number or PIN number and voters' instructions letters through Canada Post from the ban. So you'd get this PIN number, and then you can um, use the Internet, use a wireless device, a tablet, or use your mobile phone, your cell phone, or a landline, and dial in, you input your PIN number, and then you cash your vote. And then you, you vote that way, so you don't have to physically leave Virgio. You don't have to physically leave your house in Benoit's Cove. If you don't want to, you can you can um, vote from home and vote from the convenience of your own home. So people in seniors' homes, people that are... Uh, are incapacitated, have mobility issues, or weather's inclement, they can still participate. Mm -hmm. So this is a much better approach. It's more cost-effective in that respect in terms of saving money on, on the cost of uh, mail, because the mail, the mail part of it is very expensive with some of these uh, convoluted balloting. Uh, and then there's time lags, which we've already talked about. You and I discussed that moments ago. Uh, various time lags that, are, that come with the mail-in process and the short windows. This would eliminate that. You don't have to wait for a card to come and fill it out and mail it back in, and it's got to be in at a certain time. That goes away. Mm -hmm. And the long line upset the uh, polling stations will be gone because, as I said, there could be a time in the very near future where you don't actually need a polling station unless some individual wants someone to help them dial in and, and phone in and, and vote. And then you can drop into the center, and there's a instead of a box with a ballot box there, there'll be a telephone, and somebody could help you walk you through that process. Would the uh, would the actual polling stations remain as uh, as part of the voting arrangement uh, in this uh, scenario, or would it all be uh, e-voting? Uh that that's uh that's a uh, um a question that comes down to i guess the um uh what the will and and, and interest are, is of the membership and and what the uh the economic realities are so it can can cost a fair bit of money to run polling stations and they're never conveniently located or enough thereof as we've we talked about so i could see a hybrid i could see a, a mix where both are, are integrated in the in the next election and this one's 2018, so 2021, and but then moving forward beyond that, I could see it being entirely e-voting. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's what I, you know, as, that's would be my preference as as an individual, that, as a voting individual, not as a, not as a, the, the employee here that's kind of overseeing the election, but as as um, as a member of Halibut and a voter, being able to, to do that from my cell phone on the day of a vote and not have to go stand up in a line for an hour is is always uh, my my preference. Mm. Uh, 
Well, hopefully that would uh, the e-voting option would uh, increase participation because I think um, in the last vote the turnout was uh, about what was it, uh, less than 25% of the time. 24,000 people were, were eligible to vote, and the actual number what were what was the actual number of, uh, of voters last time in the 2015 election? Oh, I, I think it was, no. was it around 5,000 people. Well, it was it was just under five. I was going to say 45 to 4,800, but again, I wasn't. Um, I haven't crunched that. I haven't looked at that number in some time, so my mm. memory's uh, my memory is a bit vague. But I think it was 45 to 4,800, mm -hmm. something in that ballpark. But again, I could be I could be wrong in that. So uh, hopefully, uh, in the 2018 election, even with the uh, extending some of the timelines for uh, uh, for some of these things, we can increase the participation uh, somewhat, even with the current arrangement. I think I hope so. I hope by extending the the uh, the timelines and by encouraging mail-in balloting. Uh, then we can get better participation. Um, we may be able to beat down some of the lineups by polling. I know I'm going to mail-in ballot myself. Then I don't have to go down and, and stand in line and take up a space from someone, some other eligible member that wants to vote. Uh, so that, that's my intention, and um, personally. But with respect to um, respect to the upcoming election, yeah, I mean we have to move forward status quo. We're just going to try to extend the timelines as far as we can. We had talked about. Three months in advance, but probably a more realistic number, if I was going to be realistic, would be, like I said, the Labor Day is going to be uh, an event. We're going to supposed to get that ban list, so I really can't can't send out too many mail-in ballots until that point because I really don't know who I'm allowed to have as a nominee. A nominee. Because right. it could have an individual that, that is going to be removed from the founding members list who's put themselves forward as a ward councillor, and then they go out on ballots prior to Labor Day, and then when the new ban list comes out, well, they're not eligible to be, and now there's ballots out with the wrong name on there. So it would be irresponsible to send that out before I get that finalized list. So realistically, we're going to probably call an election prior to the Labor Day, let people submit their nominations, but close the nomination process roundabouts Labor Day weekend, and then we can cross-reference against the ban list and move forward from there. Halibut Band Manager Keith Golding. And that's it for the show. Allison Baker is the technical producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Celebration time used with the permission of Mi'kmaq artist Marcus Goss. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. You can listen to Mi'kmaq Matters on Bay of Islands Radio. In Norris Point and Waukee Harbor, tune in on Voice of Bombay. And in St. John's, catch us on CHMR. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.